When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Meet Gary. Gary's about to become an Einstein in an instant. Whoa, Einstein hair. I like it. That's right, Gary. Because you're using Salesforce powered by Einstein AI to connect data, predict business trends, generate personalized content, and wow customers. I do feel a lot smarter. Because you're not just Gary anymore. You're Gary, empowered by Einstein AI. Did you hear that, team? I'm an Einstein. Oh, can I get a selfie? The number one AI CRM. Now everyone's an Einstein with Salesforce. Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. I'm a little bit unimpressed of the discipline and the training level of the Russian forces. As bad and as horrific as this is, we want to make sure that we do not see an escalation. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective from D.C.'s top names. My sense is that commodity prices will remain very high, elevated, certainly over the next few months, probably the first half of the year. You Republicans want to give Democrats a victory on getting tough with China. On a political basis, the answer is no. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. No more Russian oil. That's the word from the White House today, turning the screws ever more on Moscow as the war in Ukraine now approaches the two-week mark. Welcome to the fastest hour in politics. We'll have details for you on this latest move against Russian energy and discuss it with Senator Tina Smith, Democrat from Minnesota, spoke last weekend with Ukrainian President Zelensky and has some strong feelings about this. Later, we wade into the oil patch with Bob McNally, consultant president of Rapidan Energy as the U.S. seeks to replace Russian crude now and prices move even higher. We have a lot of questions that Bob can help us answer. The panel today, Bloomberg Politics contributor, Democratic analyst Jeannie Shanzano, along with Republican strategist Greta Joins of Hyatt Farber Shrek, former advisor to the House Energy Subcommittee. President Biden had a late addition to his schedule today. You heard it, saw it as it happened on Bloomberg TV and radio remarks from the Roosevelt Room. 10.45 a.m., we got the schedules. What's this? Well, it turned out to be the big news we were waiting for. Also a lot later uh, than scheduled. Mercifully, it was a beautiful day on the North Lawn where we all waited for almost 45 minutes to hear Joe Biden confirm the news that broke earlier today on Bloomberg. Here he is. Today I'm announcing the United States is targeting the main artery of Russia's economy. We're banning all imports of Russian oil and gas and energy. That means Russian oil will no longer be acceptable at U.S. ports and the American people will deal another powerful blow to Putin's war machine. Important to note here, uh, Bloomberg is reporting the ban applies immediately to new purchases. A senior administration official saying it also allows for a 45-day period to wind down deliveries of existing orders. That's something that refiners were hoping to have. And the president did not take questions today, talked for about 10 minutes and prepared remarks and tried to get ahead of the most obvious question. What about our allies in Europe? Here he is again. We're moving forward with this ban, understanding that many of our European allies and partners may not be in a position to join us. 
The United States produces far more oil domestically than all of European all the European countries combined. In fact, we're a net exporter of energy. So we can take this step when others cannot. But we're working closely with Europe and our partners to develop a long-term strategy to reduce their dependence on Russian energy as well. Remembering the UK earlier today announced plans to phase out Russian oil over months. The Germans and the French, though, rely so heavily on Russia to the president's point. They simply cannot replace all of that oil, not all at once. So we're deeply curious to know what kind of alternate sources are being discussed. The announcement today came as lawmakers also hammer out details of a budget that will include some $12 billion in aid for Ukraine. And we want to bring in Senator Tina Smith to talk about all of this. The Democrat from Minnesota was on a Zoom call with President Volodymyr Zelensky last weekend and has been very focused on this. Senator, welcome back to Bloomberg Radio. The administration has really done an about face here banning Russian oil. Is it the right one? Well, thank you, Joe. It is great to be with you. And, you know, I think that they are making the right decision here. The, this um, outrageous and unprovoked attack on Ukraine by Russia needs to be met with the full force of, um, of, um, of, of sanctions. And we know that uh, Russia relies on its energy exports to um, fuel its economy. Um, as President Biden said, we can't, um, you know, the, the, the importance of Russian energy exports to Europe is really significant. And the president has also worked hard to try to maximize the negative impact on Russia while minimizing the negative impact on Americans and our allies. And so I think the step that he's taking today is, is the right one. I was taken by your thread uh, today on Twitter that starts by saying there's been a lot of talk about the need for energy independence. Indeed, you go on uh, to write, the obvious solution is to shift to energy that Putin cannot control, referring to wind, solar and, and other renewables. Senator, can you help me? What is the progressive view on all of this right now? The, the whole world has seemingly changed the last couple of weeks. Is it possible to favor renewable energy, but also support more domestic production to keep prices in check? Yeah, absolutely it's possible. And I think that we need to think about this in terms of what is a short-term crisis that we are, what, what's a, what is the short-term crisis confronting us, while looking at the long-term policies we need to, medium-term and long-term policies we need to um, advance in order to cut ourselves free from a reliance on international energy, which means that we will continue to be sort of at the beck and call of dictators around the world like Putin. The power of being energy independent, and by doing that, and doing that through um, moving aggressively into clean power um, and renewable power, is that you know the Putin has no say on whether um, how much we pay for wind or solar. In fact, that power is free. It gives us so much more um, resilience. I think. Uh-huh. But it also means more drilling domestically. Uh, where there's a conference going on in Houston right now, the shale drillers are are are, are drooling over this potential opportunity to replace Russian crude. Is that something you support if it gets us through this? Well, I might want to point out that um, 3% of U.S. imports of fuel are from Russia. So the yes. actual impact, as you know, the actual impact on, on domestic energy markets by this action um, is relatively small. Hmm. And we also know that the price of um, oil and gas is a global price. And so it is somewhat impacted by what we, um, what we produce and drill here in the United States. But fundamentally, the price is the price based on what global supply is. And yeah. that won't change. 
But your point is a good one. And to this extent, I want to just make clear that you know, I think that we need to look for ways that we can um, uh, protect Americans against the shock of rising energy prices right now. Um, but let's understand that it's going to take like, you know, it's not like we can just immediately start drilling and th- sure. that um, oil will be um, in people's uh, gas tanks, um, mm-hmm. you know, next week. It has a lag time, just as building out renewables has a lag time. So let's build out the let's build out the clean power that is going to give us resilience over the long run. You've seen polling, I'm sure that I have. The, the number from Quinnipiac this week was incredible. Americans, a mm-hmm. vast majority of Americans support this move, even they say if it means higher gas prices. But that's today, Senator. How long can that last? Do you worry about people losing patience in the face of record high prices, five, six dollars a gallon in the in the summer driving season? Well, the impact of high gas prices and high energy prices, broadly speaking, on Americans is really something to be worried about. And of course, I want to point out that that impact is felt um, most by people who are um, lower income communities who have much less discretionary income for um, that um, that price surge. So we all have to be. We all have to be concerned about that. But I think what you're seeing here is the, you know, Americans are watching President Zelensky and they are watching the incredible courage of the Ukrainians. And they are feeling proud that we are on their side, that we are standing with them in the face of this uh, violent, autocratic attack on another democracy. And uh, it gives me some hope that Americans today are saying, no, I'm willing to to make some sacrifices myself in order to stand up against this. Well, I see that and and hear that as well, Senator. I just know how short people's memories can be, especially when it starts to hit them uh, in the wallet. Does the president need to do more? Do do you need to do more to, to prepare people? for what's coming? Well, I think we have to be honest with the American people, and I think the president did that today in his comments. We need to make clear that people understand why this is happening. This is, this is being caused by you know, Putin's brutal war. And I think we also need to maintain the bipartisan support for the president's actions here. You know, this is not a Democratic or a Republican idea. This is a bipartisan idea. Um, and let me also just say the president is taking the steps that he can to mitigate the impacts of higher energy prices, and I think that that is exactly what we need to do. Whether it is, um, you know, um, releasing um, oil from the strategic oil reserve, um, other things that we can do. And I think let's just be also honest, the United States energy sector um, also needs to step up and do their part. And we need to make sure that we're not seeing um, excessive profits being uh, uh, being pulled down um, in the midst of Americans struggling to you know, buy gas and pay their heating bills. Well, as we're discussing this, Senator, uh, Poland says it's ready to transfer MiG-29 fighter jets to Ukraine by way of a U.S. military base in Germany. It would be, a, it would be up to us then to, to finish that transfer and then replace them with used American-made jets. Poland says it's ready to buy them. This is something that President Zelensky is asking for. Maybe he asked you for it directly last weekend. Are you worried, though, Russia considers that an act of war by NATO? The president, uh, I know it's been widely reported that President Zelensky specifically asked um, for uh, protection, for air protection. And I think it's extremely important as we do everything we can to provide security support and humanitarian support to Ukraine that we do not cross the line into having the United States in a direct conflict uh, with, uh, with Russia in Ukraine, because that um, creates a, a, an escalation that I believe is extremely dangerous. So um, I'm looking at what it is that is happening with these Polish uh, jets, and I know that the president is very, because I've spoken with him about this 
myself, um, that he is um, determined to not cross that line so that um, we don't find ourselves in a direct conflict with Russia. You're going to get this aid package. I understand it'll be about $12 billion passed through the budget on time. Does does that jive with what you're hearing? I know we have uh, a deadline on Friday night and a lot of work to be done uh, between now and then to make that happen. Well, there will be a huge amount of work to make that happen, but all signs are that we're on a path um, to getting that done. I'm glad to see that we've been able to strike, um, as I understand it, a bipartisan agreement to provide, um, in addition to getting the federal budget uh, done, Mm -hmm. that we will also be able to include um, uh, aid to Ukraine, including humanitarian aid uh, and also, um, some additional um, relief for um, through a COVID relief package so that That's we are right. going to not lose track of where we are and remember that we need to continue to prepare um, for what comes next um, in um, our worries about a global pandemic. And no one's talking about a shutdown. It's incredible. Senator Tina Smith, thank you for being with us once again on Sound On. We'll assemble the panel next. Stay with us. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. Face it, your business is unique. It faces challenges and risks that are specific to your industry and to the skills you and your team bring to every challenge. You need experienced insurance professionals. The Hartford accepts the challenge. The Hartford understands that protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can help provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-sized companies like yours to easily manage risk from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. With experience in underwriting, risk engineering services, and claims, the Hartford faces any challenge to deliver innovative, customizable solutions that your industry and your unique company demand. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. Johann Schmiegel, you've got the world's highest IQ. Yes, 247. Wow. Did you know that thanks to Salesforce with Einstein AI, everyone's smarter? Now everyone's an Einstein, just like you. But I'm the smartest. Not anymore. With connected data and trusted AI, everyone can give customers experiences they've only dreamed of. Oh, look, here's a few Einsteins now. Hey, hi. Hola, amigo. Everyone's an Einstein? It's okay, Johan. Let it happen. The number one AI CRM. Now everyone's an Einstein with Salesforce. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. The headline on the terminal, U.S. and U.K. ban Russia oil imports, squeezing Putin on war. It's a good headline. But I've got some questions about this new messaging from the administration. It's changed a lot in the last week as we assemble the panel for Sound On today, beginning with Bloomberg Politics contributor, Democratic analyst Jeannie Shanzano, along with Greta Joins today, Republican strategist back with us from Brownstein, Hyatt, Farber, Shrex, Technology and Telecom Practice, formerly with the House Energy and Commerce Subcommittee, where she was advising lawmakers. It's great to have both of you with us here. Uh, Jeannie, let's get your first blush reaction. We talked about this possibility last evening. Nobody knew that it was coming this morning. It appears that Congress really forced President Biden's hand on this. Do you think he would have made this move if it hadn't been for the the breakthrough on Capitol Hill to do the very same thing? 
You know, I, I don't think, uh, you know, I'm not sure he, he would have done this. I think the fact that Congress came together in a bipartisan way gave him the ability to go to his allies, our allies overseas and say, this is where the country is headed. I'm going to have to go this alone. And of course, now we see that, you know, England, some other countries may be coming at least mm -hmm. in in the future with us on, on this path. But I'm not sure he would have gotten there if there wasn't widespread bipartisan support. And let's look at the polls. Polls show by That's huge right. margins the American public support this, which is why Congress is on board. Well, uh, Greta, how long are the polls going to stay like that when people are going five, six dollars, potentially a gallon in the tank this summer? Um, I think that we're probably looking at once you hit nationwide five dollars a gallon with no end in sight. I think that gets really difficult for a lot of American families. I think the administration in particular needs to figure out a better way to message around we all need to make a collective sacrifice because I think that works for a short period of time, but months and months of yeah. high gas prices, I think will be very difficult for Americans to swallow, especially going into the summer. Well, I want to get both of your take on the messaging here. This is the part that really kind of jumped out to me today because it was a big deal last week when the White House said this was a bad idea. Now it's happening because it's the only idea. President Biden says today, in the address today, we will not subsidize Putin war by buying Russian oil, right? We're not going to pay for this conflict by buying oil with Ukrainian blood in it. But that does not line up with what the White House was saying just last Thursday, less than a week ago. I want to bring it back to the briefing room. Thursday, Press Secretary Jen Psaki here explaining why the administration at that point was choosing not to sanction Russian energy. Here she is. We don't have a strategic interest in reducing the global supply of energy. Uh, and that would raise prices at the gas pump for the American people uh, around the world. It also has the potential to pad the pockets of President Putin, which is exactly what we are not trying to do. OK, so we know it's going to send prices higher. White House been consistent on that. That's elementary. But banning the oil, as she said, would pad Putin's pockets. A great alliteration, by the way. But not banning it would pay for Putin's war. I'm a little bit confused, Jeannie, on how that lines up or doesn't it? It doesn't line up to your point. And, and I think the White House has to spend time getting their messaging together. Um, You know, Jen Psaki was speaking last week when the administration was firmly in the in the camp of not doing this. They have now changed their mind. And I think, you know, to a certain extent, the White House is missing a big opportunity here. And that is the opportunity to say, why are we in this position? We're in this position because we've locked ourselves hook, line, and sinker into a gas future. And this is why we should have done better with Build Back Better and the policies of the administration oh. coming out. Oh, don't laugh, Joe Matthew. I know Build Back <laughs> Better is dead. But, you know, there is an argument to say there's an opportunity here. We have to look for other options. And I think Senator yeah. Smith said rightly so. There are short, medium, and long-term things you can do to move more aggressively toward a clean energy solution, which essentially allows us to unleash our from not just Vladimir Putin, but the authoritarian autocrats running countries like Venezuela and Saudi Arabia around the world who, to whom we are in, locked in unless we figure out another way to move to clean energy. Greta, are these just the perils of working in PR, as I think we can agree Jen Psaki is, even though it's politics here? Or is there is there more here? Does this expose 
the conversations that were happening uh, behind the scenes in the White House with Congress to go from from one extreme to another in less than a week like that with different uh, rationale is difficult for some people to understand. I think that what it certainly points to is the lack of conversations between the White House and Congress. I think that congressional Democrats really are struggling to figure out how they can message appropriately to their constituents why high gas prices are ultimately worth it for Americans going forward. I think that the administration has had to reverse course on a number of things around not only Build Back Better, which um, I would agree with my uh, friend is, is certainly dead, but I, I would think that there are a lot of things that could have been messaged better around Nord Stream 2 in particular. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of talk coming from the White House on how it was impossible to reverse Nord Stream 2. And then in the past week, you know, we certainly found out that that was not the case. Yeah. I think when you look at um, what the message is around short-term energy costs, it doesn't really help that Secretary Buttigieg went out and basically suggested that Americans should buy Uh, Or just wait, just wait for this summer when it's five or six a gallon. Greta and Jeannie will be back. The panel on Sound On. This is Bloomberg. Broadcasting live from our nation's capital, Bloomberg 99.1 to New York, Bloomberg 1130 to Boston, Bloomberg 1061 to San Francisco, Bloomberg 960 to the country, Sirius XM Channel 119 and around the globe, the Bloomberg Business App and BloombergRadio.com. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew. Everyone seems to agree oil and gas prices will keep rising. And that's after gas hit an all-time average high in the U.S. yesterday. Now that America is banning Russian oil and gas, where do we go? How high? And what will we replace the Russian crude with? Could we do it on our own? Maybe sell some to Europe? We'll ask Bob McNally, consultant and president of Rapidan Energy Group, coming up next. Gas prices at new highs nationally. We could be heading into uncharted territory next days and weeks as President Biden made clear himself when he announced the Russian crude ban. Here's what he said from the White House. The decision today is not without cost here at home. Putin's war is already hurting American families at the gas pump. Since Putin began his military buildup on Ukrainian borders, just since then, the price of the gas at the pump in America went up 75 cents. And with this action, it's going to go up further. I'm going to do everything I can to minimize Putin's price hike here at home. Not that there's a lot that can be done. To help us understand the nuances in the energy market here following this move is Bob McNally, consultant, president of Rapidan Energy Group, former senior policy official in the George W. Bush administration and author of the book Crude Volatility, the history and the future of boom-bust oil prices. I think we've got the right guy, Bob. Thank you for being <laughs> with us here. I'll start with the question nobody really can answer, and that's how high you think we can go. The, the increases this week in the futures markets have just been staggering. But when it, when it comes to crude, WTI, for instance, is some of this or maybe most of it baked in by now? Yeah, well, and it's great to be with you, Joe. I just wish we were talking about a happier subject. I think uh, crude can go a lot higher. Um, One of two things is going to happen here on the way up. Either, hopefully, we'll remove the sanctions risk because Russia will cease and desist and will somehow get out of this escalation. Mm -hmm. That does not seem likely, but if 
if that would happen, the sanctions risk to Russia's almost 8 million barrels a day would go away. That's one way for crude oil prices to stop rising. And if that happened, crude oil prices would fall. Okay. However, it's more likely we're going to rise toward what we call demand destruction. We're going to yes, have right. to start hammering consumption of oil. And while nobody can really predict it, I'll, I'll give it a shot. At my company, we estimate that would start to happen at about $150, huh. you know, Brent or WTI. So. so calls for $300 a barrel, you don't think that's realistic, but 150 is a real number. Uh, yeah. Yeah, what three hundred dollars? I think we're going to hit a recession and demand will collapse uh, well before three hundred dollars. Because people will cut back on their consumption; they're not going to take the road trip necessarily this summer. Uh, people will start maybe taking a different way to work, whatever it might be. High gas prices, to your point, will cure high gas prices. Well, yes, but there's the happy way to do that and the sad way to do that. You know, when oil prices nearly quintupled from '03 to '08. We were doing stuff like that. We were, as gasoline prices were going up, we were becoming more efficient. We were buying more fuel-efficient cars. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, when prices spike parabolically like they're doing now, <laughs> everybody goes out and buys an escalator to a recession. Yeah, you get a recession. <laughs> usually, a, an oil price spike at the scene of a recession in history, yeah. and it'll probably be the, the sad way, which is through economic, uh, you know, downturn. Oh boy. Well, this is uh, not what we want to be hearing. Uh, the question also is, what do we replace it with? Bob, can the U.S. crank up production enough to to replace 700,000 barrels or whatever it is roughly a day we get from Russia? Are we going to have to start dealing with other guys like uh, Venezuela, Iran, Saudi Arabia, as we've been hearing? Yeah. You know, we can easily replace Russian imports. That's small potatoes. Now, that's not a problem at all. We only get about 3% of our crude from them, yeah. but 8%, uh, 8% of our product, that's no problem. The problem, though, is the market is afraid that we're going to do more than that. We're going to start sanctioning Russia's up to the 8 million barrels a day in a 100 million barrel a day market that they export to the world. That's what's driving crude and gasoline prices high. And the Biden administration has been struggling to convince market participants we don't want to do that, but they're, they're losing that battle. So as long as the fear is out there and that these symbolic actions like today's really amount to a threat to the broad Russian commodity exports, not just oil, but food and other things. That's what's going to keep that upward pressure on prices, even though the teeny amount of oil we'll be banning really doesn't make much, uh, much of a difference. So this is really about uncertainty here. Can I ask you, how in the world could we sanction oil uh, to the extent that you're talking about if we're not buying it. I mean, we're they're they're shipping five million, I believe, barrels a day uh, to our to the United States and our European allies combined. How could we affect more than that? Well, so yeah, Russia sends about five million barrels a day of crude, uh, yeah. and that's mainly to Europe. About sixty percent of that goes to Europe and twenty mm-hmm. percent to China, and the rest basically into Asia and Latin America. We get a very little bit of it. Then they export another. 2.7, 2.8 million barrels a day of product, heating oil, diesel, naphtha, mm-hmm. and so forth. That Most of that goes to Europe. That does not really come to us. The only way we could really get at that, and the market fears, is we do Iran-style secondary sanctions, right? So okay. we say not only are we not going to import it, but if we see you, China, India, yeah. or somebody else importing, we'll freeze your central bank out or we'll some way sanction you as well. So that's kind of what we did with Iran, and that is what some people are calling for uh, with regard to Russia as well. Robert, I want to ask you uh, the the same question I asked our panel, and it has to do with messaging from the White House here. We heard last week that it was a bad idea to ban 
Russian oil because it would pad Vladimir Putin's pockets by sending global prices higher. Today, the president says we will not subsidize Putin war, Putin's war by buying Russian oil. How do you have both? There's an old expression in Washington on Capitol Hill. <laughs> if you don't have the votes, you deal or you die. Okay. And President Biden lost control on the Hill. He still didn't want to do what he did today. For exactly the reason we saw, crude is up $6 today. He didn't so want to he, do it, but the problem was the Congress wanted to. He Congress to. forced his hands. What's worse for right. Vladimir Putin, banning the oil or not? Well, uh, I think banning the oil would not be worse. I think it'd be worse if we didn't. Here's why. Okay. If we ban the oil, we will hurt him badly, but we will hurt our consumers badly. And while folks are saying they're willing to pay more to hurt Putin, I know I would. I'm not sure folks want to pay a recession. And the well, risk is that if we ban oil, it hurts Putin, but then we collapse our economy, then political support for supporting Ukraine, which is most go. important, might go away. So I'd be careful with it. Great take from Robert McNally of Rapidian Energy. This is Bloomberg. Face it, your business is unique. It faces challenges and risks that are specific to your industry and to the skills you and your team bring to every challenge. You need experienced insurance professionals. The Hartford accepts the challenge. The Hartford understands that protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can help provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-sized companies like yours to easily manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. With experience in underwriting, risk engineering services, and claims, the Hartford faces any challenge to deliver innovative, customizable solutions that your industry and your unique company demand. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. Johann Schmiegel, you've got the world's highest IQ. Yes, 247. Wow. Did you know that thanks to Salesforce with Einstein AI, everyone's smarter? Now everyone's an Einstein, just like you. But I'm the smartest. Not anymore. With connected data and trusted AI, everyone can give customers experiences they've only dreamed of. Oh, look, here's a few Einsteins now. Hey, hi. Hola, amigo. Everyone's an Einstein? It's okay, Johan. Let it happen. The number one AI CRM. Now everyone's an Einstein with Salesforce. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. We got the annual threat assessments of the U.S. intelligence community today. This is something that happens every year before the House Intelligence Committee. They bring the chiefs of all of our intelligence agencies together to testify before lawmakers and actually answer some honest questions about what keeps them up at night. Russia is likely to face a persistent and significant insurgency after Vladimir Putin misjudged the war, according to the top U.S. spy chief. We heard from Avril Haines, the director of national intelligence. We also heard from the head of the CIA. William Burns. Fascinating testimony. The CIA director says Putin is stewing in grievance and ambition, a dangerous combination. And he described, if you're curious, just how much Vladimir Putin has gotten wrong over the last two weeks. The CIA director describes the four assumptions that Putin made that turned out to be wrong. Here he is. First, that Ukraine, in his view, was weak and easily intimidated. Second, that 
the Europeans, especially the French and Germans, were distracted by elections in France and a leadership succession in Germany and risk averse. Third, he believed he had sanctions proofed his economy um, in, in the sense of creating a large war chest of foreign currency reserves. And fourth, he was confident that he had modernized his military and they were capable of a quick, decisive victory at minimal cost. That's a lot to get wrong. And so we reassemble the panel for more on all of this. Bloomberg Politics contributor Jeannie Shanzano is with us today, along with Greta Joins, Republican strategist, co-chair of Brownstein Hyatt Farber Strex Tech and Telecom Practice, former House Energy and Commerce Subcommittee Advisor. Thanks again for both of you uh, being with us here. When you hear talk like that, Jeannie, it makes you wonder what would have happened if he had gotten at least one of those right. This could, in fact, go down. While I know we're in for some very difficult days, this could go down as the beginning of the end, or will, for Vladimir Putin, no? It, it, it absolutely could. And it is chilling to listen to William Burns list through that, tick through that. And to your point, had he gotten any one of those things right, yeah. um, th- we could be in a very different position right now. And I think my big question here, and I've asked so many people and nobody has a very positive answer. What is the pathway out of this? Is there any pathway, you know, sanctions, all these things, they're designed to change behavior. And by every estimation, none of that is going to change Putin's yep. trajectory here. And so it all feels very, very dark as you listen to these threat assessments. Well, it sure does, uh, Greta. Being wrong, I can only assume, motivates someone like Vladimir Putin to double down. Uh, It's a pretty difficult thing to imagine here, but we know we're in for worse. We know that Ukraine is. To Jeannie's question, is there an off-ramp at this point, or we have to go through this? I don't think there is a articulated off-ramp, I think, either for NATO, for the U.S., or for President Putin. I I think that he is certainly trying to respond in a way that, you know, enables him to look strong and powerful, but there are some people who are going to suffer in Russia because of these mistakes. I would imagine that he's going to blame a lot of the generals and and other people beneath him for, for some of these challenges, but in terms of, you know, what restarts U.S.-Russian relations, I, I, I don't know, and I don't think anyone knows at this point. I want to uh, get into this matter of aid for Ukraine uh, while we have some time here as well, because we, we discussed this earlier with Senator Tina Smith. She seems to think this is on track to pass $12 billion. It's doubled, almost doubled, in just the span of a week. It was $6.5 billion a week ago when the request went in from the administration. So here we are. It's going to be part of this omnibus budget. And Jeannie, we've talked about this up and down. None of it's coming easily, but at least lawmakers seem to think they can pass something by the deadline on Friday. No one's talking about a shutdown. And inside this funding is this mechanism to basically uh, send fighter jets to Ukraine. Poland would take their MiG-29s. They've already said they're ready to do it. They sent it to a U.S. base in Germany. America repaints those jets and sends them to Ukraine where they will be used in the war effort and then will replace those jets on behalf of Poland with some some nice, shiny, American-made fighter jets. This came up uh, on Capitol Hill. Senator Marco Rubio, Republican from Florida, talking about, however, the many complications that come with this concept. There are a lot of questions that have yet to be answered, as Senator Rubio illustrates here. And who's going to fly them and where are you going to base them from? And can you protect them from you know, Russian 
efforts to target supply lines. I mean, at some point, I, I anticipate you're going to start to see the Russians targeting the supply lines that are bringing in uh, what is being provided to Ukraine. And, um, and when that happens, there's a real high potential that a, a NATO country could be hit as collateral damage and suddenly um, you've got a big problem on your hands. A big problem, Jeannie. What, what do we do here before there's a problem? to keep this from happening. Does Vladimir Putin see that as an act of war? Is that an escalation? You know, I don't often say this, but I happen to agree with Senator Rubio on this. Um, You know, it is a very important point he's making. This is why I am a firm believer that I don't feel that Congress should be making decisions like this about how we conduct military operations. Hmm. They should stick to what they do. This is, you know, this is something that is fraught with potential challenges and could get us directly involved in a conflict. And so I would be more comfortable with military leaders, the Air Force, Army, Navy, them making these decisions and not Congress. I think Congress should fund and these decisions should be made at least in the White House, if not in the military. Even if that was the case, let's say the Pentagon is making this decision. uh, My goodness, uh, the potential here for a backfire, Greta, is, is great. And it's not just... You know, uh, Vladimir Putin gets upset because he sees the planes in the air and he says that's an act of war. What if this idea of attacking supply chains becomes a real one? Now we're crossing borders. We don't know where these planes are going to be launching from, who's going to be rearming them, refueling them and so forth. Uh, But it's the very thing that President Zelensky says he needs. So what do you do, Greta? It's, it's very difficult. And I, I think in particular, when you talk about this issue with Poland, apparently they made this announcement about the transfer of the planes to the U.S. without actually informing the U.S. prior to announcing it. So um, we, we are certainly in an interesting situation. And how do we respond? You know, obviously, Americans are, are very um, concerned and, and want to be helpful to Zelensky. But there, there are a lot of cooks in the kitchen. I absolutely agree that you know Congress needs to provide oversight here versus strategic guidance into, into some of these military decisions. It's, it's going to be very challenging. And honestly, my, my biggest concern going forward is, is how China and Russia are going to cozy up um, in absence of American engagement. And, and that is, is a big concern, I think, going forward for supply chains and also for military engagement beyond just Ukraine. Well, it does make you worry about how this is going to end with regard to that particular uh, issue, Jeannie. But there's a lot more in the $12 billion. There's a lot more in the budget. Are we going to get this done here? And how come nobody's capitalizing on this moment to, to threaten a government shutdown? It appears as if the reality of the Ukrainian bill, this, you know, 12 to 14 billion that they've agreed on, is what is pushing the omnibus potentially over the marker by Friday. I mean, as you said, people are optimistic. But I renew my frustration with the way that Congress uh, works. I mean, this is, we are three days out. It's $1.5 trillion, thousands of pages long. We're just seeing some of the initial wording now. The House Dems are going away on their retreat. Are they coming back? You have people saying, don't try to take planes from Philly because you'll need to be back in Uh, D.C. You know, this is no way to run a household, let alone a government. And (laughs) The frustration, um, I think, with the American public, if 
if they take a look at this, the way this is being done is absolutely very real. You know, we're all going to be paying taxes in mid-April and the, the IRS isn't going to let us take the amount of time that Congress is taking to pass these budgets. So well, the, it, it's something I think that, you know, it's a very real frustration. we got to get our house in order. Looks like we'll have a vote in the House as soon as tomorrow. And of course, we'll update you on this here on Sound On at this very time tomorrow. Big thanks to Jeannie and Greta for the insights today. It's International Women's Day, and as we've been reminding you, March is Women's History Month. Every day this month, we're celebrating with an update here and a great moment in history with Renita Young. Happy International Women's Day. On Today in Women's History in 2017, the fearless girl sculpture is revealed across from the Charging Bull statue on Wall Street. Kristen Visbal's sculpture depicted a young, defiant girl standing confidently. The sculpture was installed late the night before. It was placed there to draw attention to the lack of gender diversity and equality in the workplace, particularly in large, powerful institutions in New York City. The plaque under the sculpture reads, Know the power of women in leadership. She makes a difference. It was commissioned by State Street Global Advisors, who wanted to advertise an index fund that promotes gender-diverse companies with high higher percentages of female leadership. That's Today in Women's History. I'm Renita Young, Bloomberg Radio. All right, Renita, we thank you. We'll have another update from Renita tomorrow, another panel, and another fastest hour in politics. This is Sound On. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington. We'll have an update on markets and traffic straight ahead. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. As I say, this is Bloomberg. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-size companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com.